0: You're listening to a recording from the 2017 Mockingbird Conference held at St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. The title of this talk is Greetings from the Upside Down, and thanks for being here, everybody. Um, I watched the season finale of the show, Stranger Things, on a laptop in a Sydney hotel room last August with my husband, Jason, which I think is only too appropriate. We were in the middle of a five-day popover to Australia, as you do, to research housing and schools for a potential move that I was still in denial about. I was jet-lagged, which explains why I was able to fall asleep with a demogorgon in my face. I was disoriented and I was emotional. And it was in the middle of all that that the narrative of the upside-down came full circle for me, both on screen and in that southern hemisphere. But let me back up. Last year, when I spoke to David about doing a breakout session, it was over email, and we all know how tone can disappear online. So when I answered his, are you interested in doing this question with a yes, I probably should have placed a question mark after that yes. If I had, it would have been a bit more truthful of an answer. And it also would have sounded like this. Great story. Compelling and rich. Well, that's going to do it for all of us here at Channel 4 News. You stay classy, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy. Because here's the truth. I did want to speak at the conference last year, because I had what I felt was a beautiful story to tell about Grace and my older son, primarily. So I wasn't nervous about the material, I was nervous about the person delivering it, as in yours truly, the queen of social and all other types of anxiety. So I prayed naturally and I got a prescription for Xanax, but mainly I prayed and what I asked was that God would move me out of the way so that I wouldn't ruin the telling of that story. And if I had known just how mightily he was going to move me out of the way, I would have told him, you know what? It's okay, I'm all good. I'll just take the wheel on this one. Because unlike Garth Brooks saying, there are no unanswered prayers, and this one was answered in the form of the most violent stomach virus I've ever endured, passed along to me by my hashtag precious children and grace. I won't get into it too much since I way covered it last year, but suffice it to say that there's a restaurant down the street that has either been shut down by the health department or has a picture of my face hanging with a message offering a reward for information on my whereabouts. So, there was that, and then there was the other side effect of my little ordeal, which that I was, was that I was so dehydrated and exhausted that by the time my talk came around, I couldn't even stand up for it, much less have the energy to be nervous or sweaty, which reminds me of my next clip. Honey, I want to cry so bad. But I don't think I can spare the moisture. Well, listen, here's... So this year, when I talked to David about speaking, I considered just leaving it off the prayer list. I mean, how would God outdo himself after last year's divine intervention? Full-blown dysentery? Unplanned pregnancy? Well, it didn't take too long to find out since as of December 31st, my family and I are residents of Sydney, Australia which allows me to plug the show Stranger Things by incorporating it into the title of this talk rather than my other option which was to dress up as Barb. So, (laughs) glad we have some fans of the show. So I bring you greetings from down under or as I like to call it, the upside down. When God decided to rudely uproot us from our comfortable existence in Atlanta, he was disturbing the peace in all sorts of ways. That city was after all where we had bought our first house where both of our children were born and then came home to that house, where our older son went through spinal surgery and a spectrum diagnosis, and we established a team of doctors and therapists, 16 at my last count, ranging from neurosurgeons to horse therapists that brought him from head tilted and nonverbal to talking up a storm from an upright noggin. This was where we visited many churches before coming here to the Mockingbird Conference a couple years ago to meet one of our future pastors and where we eventually joined that church, building deep friendships and community there. There were bitmojis involved. You can't just abandon a bitmoji relationship. (laughs) Atlanta was where our older son was thriving in a special needs class at a local school and our younger son was thriving two days a week in a church preschool and I was thriving with breaks from my children a solid network of like-minded, introverted friends, and a total wine warehouse a mile from our home. (laughs) Atlanta was where my husband worked down the street from our house, and we both had siblings nearby. Atlanta was where my youngest niece was born, just as we learned of our relocation. So when the offer to move came, I politely told God, no thanks. I had done one big move before as a single twenty-something from Alabama to New York, And I had no interest in compounding that move with two kids and a husband and adding on about 9,000 miles and 20 hours in the air. But per usual, God let me know that whether I believed it or not, he loved me and my family too much to allow us to skip out on his plan. So we moved through tears and uncertainty and not a small amount of anger, mine, we moved. We were greeted with the typical reactions when one announces a change in hemispheres. Shock, sadness, excitement, requests from my sister and brother-in-law about stuff we might leave behind and give to them. And we encountered our fair share of well-meaning but lame jokes. Do they have Outback Steakhouse and Blooming Onions in Sydney? Hat tip, Jonathan Adams. Must, Must we really go to such lengths to avoid a Clinton or Trump presidency? Who's laughing now? But I will say that moving across the world is a great way to find out how people feel about you. It's sort of like getting to be Tom Sawyer at your own funeral, except no one dies and everyone says all the nice stuff to your face. So if anyone is in the need for a self-esteem boost, here's a life hack. Fake your own death or plan a 10,000-mile move. You're welcome. So we landed in Sydney on New Year's Eve in our cute long sleeves and pants and walked out of the airport to be greeted by gusts of hot wind and an unforgiving summer already in full swing, while back home in Atlanta waited for snow. It was jarring to say the least in all sorts of ways. The thing about culture shock, about leaving one home and making another one somewhere else, is this dual paradoxical life you lead afterward. You find yourself divided between time zones, houses, climates, hemispheres, even days. You discover how long your heart can stretch, and all the weird little things that can break it just when you thought you were going to be okay. I found that the flight over, which I absolutely dreaded, was actually pleasant. Thank you, liquid melatonin, Peppa Pig, and in-flight beverage service. (laughs) Moving into our house was kind of no big deal, too. Jason had been over a couple times already to obtain the essentials, by which I mean toys for the kids. And a friend I had met on our popover flight turned out to live two blocks from us in our suburb, and she had left a gift by our front door that included matchbox cars, a bracelet engraved with grace, and wine. Spoiler alert, most of the blessings here turn out to involve wine. We quickly got our older son into therapy and he loved his therapists. I learned to drive on the left or wrong side of the road without hitting any pedestrians or guardrails yet. We even live around the corner from a wine store. What did I tell you? Once we got past what in my mind was the biggest hump, getting the younger kid into childcare two days a week and the older one into kindergarten, I thought, oh good, we're done. The hard part is over. Can someone please remind me never to think that? Also to never think, hey, it's been a while since I had a stomach virus. I shall now present to you how not to assimilate to a foreign country, Australia edition. We'll start with a few self-effacing tales before we get to the real ass-kicking moments. And in a minute, I'll be passing around non-disclosure agreements for you all to sign. So here's what you don't do. You don't break up the trip for your kid's sake by spending one night in an LA hotel, then watch as your younger son, who was undressed way too early before his bath by one parent, proceeds to place his hands against the hotel room wall like he's about to get naked frisked by the cops, then drops a huge turd on the carpet. (laughs) You don't flop down into the passenger seat of your car before realizing you aren't actually going to get anywhere until you switch sides, to the driver's side, which is now on the right side. And you definitely don't try to spare yourself embarrassment by remaining in that seat as though you're waiting for your driver. You don't turn on your windshield wipers when you mean to hit your turn signal every day. And you don't get honked at by another driver before realizing you're driving down the wrong side of the road and straight towards an oncoming car. And you don't do this. On my son's first day of kindergarten, I took a look around the classroom and saw a cute little shelving system with cubbies, each of which had a child's name on it. I noted the names that are so Australian sounding to my American ears like Ziggy and Poppy. Then I saw a label and thought, well, that's weird even by foreign standards. I mean, who would name their kid Paper? (laughs) It took me a while to figure that one out. (laughs) There are all sorts of little things like that and they pop up all the time and serve to remind me of just how far from home I am in my new home. They make me feel silly and stupid for a lot of my waking hours. They're offensive to my sense of self-sufficiency. They leave me feeling upside down and disoriented. In short, this move is totally undoing me, and that's where the real ass-kicking moments come in. Act two, how not to assimilate to our foreign country, or who can be depressed in Australia? Oh yeah, me. My biggest reservations about moving to another country were centered around my children and their well-being, and that was very maternal and altruistic of me, but it was also sort of a distraction because once it was clear that our kids were not only adjusting but thriving I mean you should see the way James hoofs it into his kindergarten with a huge grin on his face or the way Will has taken to demanding a morning tea daily once they were thriving I went through a dark few weeks the lowest point of which occurred in a suburban Sydney Ikea where all breakdowns should take place in that moment my kids were fighting each other in the cart, alternately yelling and crying My husband had abandoned me to go grab an item off the shelf, or maybe coffee, and a salesperson was telling me I couldn't load my cart the way it was loaded, and I snapped. Of course, being a good southern girl who has read Emily Post and been presented at a debutante ball, drunk, I kept my breakdown breakdown internalized. As the fellow patrons stared at me and my face went aflame, I went to a dark place a place to which I returned several times over the next couple of weeks, a place where an imaginary Uber ride is taken to an airport and a plane is boarded by a woman traveling solo to a far away and undisclosed location never to be heard from again. Or even more darkly, where questions of whether it would be painful or just like falling asleep to take the whole bottle of Xanax in one fell swoop. As I wrote in a post last month, one's life should not feel as though it's imploded after one bad afternoon in Ikea. But that's, the, but that's the thing. The bad afternoon was more than a bad afternoon. It's always about more, right? On the surface, things were going well for our family. But deeper down, I was experiencing a delayed but very real reaction to having home transferred across an ocean. I was grieving, I was lonely, I was sad, I was depressed. I've known depression at points in my life but it has always reared its head as anxiety. And in this world, you can always pin anxiety on something. Prior to our move, there were plenty of things to be anxious about, all summed up in one word, the unknown. Now that the unknown was becoming the known right down to Ikea, I was left with a sadness I couldn't explain. I couldn't explain it by my older son's joy about school or his love for his new therapists or the way his own anxiety had diminished palpably (laughs) since we'd moved. I couldn't explain it by my younger son's burst of language or his love for his teachers or his adorable requests for a cup of tea. I couldn't explain it by the church we had found that was welcoming us with open arms. I couldn't explain it by lovely weather and sunny days in a house two minutes from the beach. I couldn't explain it by every prayer we'd uttered having been answered beautifully and brilliantly. I could possibly explain it by the size of the spiders. There she is. And that, I don't, yeah, that picture doesn't do it justice. We came down one Saturday morning to find what's called a huntsman spider, which is like a large tarantula. And um, there are a lot of things like that. But even that would only be a partial explanation. There is a deep unsettledness that comes from being between two places America and Australia, old friends and new, the now and the not yet. It's like ambivalence writ large, and it was making me start to wonder if I'd ever feel at home anywhere, and this was what was undoing me. This unsettledness was tapping into something deeper, a feeling I've had my whole life of being an outsider, of not really fitting in anywhere. Growing up, I felt much more comfortable with my books than with other kids. I felt alone in every relationship I'd been in before I met my husband, and then I married him. And let's all be honest, it's possible to feel alone with a marriage, especially when your spouse doesn't clean up after you, after themselves the way you've um, clearly specified that they should. And I feel alone sometimes when I'm with my children, as isolated by fears that I'm not doing enough, that they'll only remember the times I lost my temper with them, that I'm ruining their lives in some unknown way. And this feeling of being an outsider was intensified by moving to a place where we knew few people and everyone else in my family had a place, a compartment defended to school or work besides me. I didn't know where my place was. I had traveled across one continent and an ocean to another continent, but it turned out that even with more vitamin D and a better view, I was still the same person. In Stranger Things, there are spoiler alert, portals between dimensions, between the right side up and the upside down. And I like to think those portals exist here on earth, not just Netflix, but between our reality here on earth and eternity. I'm no metaphysicist and I did not stay at a holiday and express last night, but I'd like to theorize even further that those portals are most pronounced. The barrier is thinnest, you might say, and those moments of profound feeling, exuberant joy or deep grief this being a broken world and all, so many of those extreme feelings arrive melded together. Henry Nouwen refers to such moments as invitations into deeper grace, and he says this, I vividly remember how I had at one time become totally dependent on the the affection and friendship of one person. This dependency threw me into a pit of great anguish and brought me to the verge of a very self-destructive depression. But from the moment I was helped to experience my interpersonal addiction as an expression of a need for total surrender to a loving God who would fulfill the deepest desires of my heart, I started to live my dependency in a radically new way. Instead of living it in shame and embarrassment, I was able to live it as an urgent invitation to claim God's unconditional love for myself, a love I can depend on without fear. So the other day, the boys and I were reading Where the Wild Things Are. Will, our loose cannon younger son, laughed at Max chasing his dog with a fork. But James, my rule follower, had two major concerns. One, that Max was pitting time out for being bad. He is terrified of timeout, And two, with every turn of the page, he asked where Max's mom was. Every page. This is why I have guilt issues. I had forgotten how the story goes. So at first I told him, I'm sure she's at home somewhere. But as we finished the story, I was able to tell him with certainty she had been there the whole time. And here's a little passage from that story. Now stop, Max said, and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. And Max, the king of all wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all. Then all around, from far away across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. And this is what happens next. upon a startling realization recently in confronting my young children's constant bald-faced need which has only intensified since we moved them across the world because they are around me the most and we have undergone so much change in the last few months i have in a very real way become their home at least until they value jesus more than santa which is an overwhelming thought even more so in how it plays out stretched shirts being climbed like a jungle gym, yells of mommy all day long. My sister told me recently about a work trip that sent her driving right by the neighborhood where we grew up, and she had the sudden urge to pull into our driveway, open the front door, and climb into her bed in her old room, all of which would have been very upsetting to the people who live there now, since my parents have moved. But our lives as mothers and grown-ups leave us feeling split and stretched and pulled tight unsustainable at times, depressing at others. We are our children's home, and when I think this, it makes me want to become a better home for them, a safer one with more comfortable seating areas and yes, less yelling. But only a few seconds of that, and I am exhausted. I cannot sustain that effort. I can't keep that up. The more aware I am of my trying, the more aware I am of my failing. A friend of mine talked about this tension in which we all live and how it's matched in the pulling of strings across an instrument to create music. This is a beautiful thought, but most days it doesn't feel like beautiful music is being made from my life. In fact, I feel like this by the end of most days. Enough is enough! I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Everybody strap in! I'm about to open some fucking windows. And sometimes before 9.30 a.m. And all of this makes me realize I need a safe home. I need a place to come home to a place my parents won't sell, a place where I'm cared for, a place where I am known and loved no matter what I do, a place without Ikea. Where is my home? Well, physically now, it's Sydney, and this makes so much sense even as it doesn't. For one thing, the people, when they talk, sound like their sentences all end in question marks, so that I feel a kinship there. And it's a city that's full of beaches, which is perfect because those are two of my favorite places. Jason and I met in a city and married on a beach. Sydney right now means my husband and our two boys. It's Sunday ferry rides to church, family picnics on the beach, daily walks to school. It's also tension and exhaustion and failure and success, being 14 hours ahead, a day apart and two days travel away and feeling connected and disconnected at the same time. That beach that's two minutes from our house, we go there at least once a week. And it's a harbor beach, which in some circles is is looked down upon because it's not a big, exciting surf beach. But I like it. It's it's our own safe-feeling cove. But a harbor beach still has waves and deep water and rocks and all sorts of dangers. And I still battle depression and anxiety over my parenting and fears for my children, even with faith and grace in the mix. The other day, my sons and I were on the sand discussing theology, by which I mean my son had a boo-boo on his finger and I kissed it and then told him we could pray for it to be healed. And he asked what Jesus was doing right then. And I said, taking care of you and loving you. And he paused, then his eyes lit up and he yelled, that's him. And he was pointing at me and he said, mommy, you're turning into Jesus. Which is so wrong and yet so right at the same time because this is my home, this Jesus who is drawing us to himself and making us more like himself and is unseen but there, invisible yet undeniable. Home is a person who loves us too much to to, let us cling to the familiar yet changeable instead of unchangeable him. He's the one who makes my life both a becoming and an arrival, who is with me in every moment, yet will meet me in the end, which is the beginning face to face the one who is around here somewhere, yet also off preparing a meal. The poem Ash Wednesday by T.S. Eliot is one of my favorite literary reflections of ambivalence and the final stanza goes like this. Teach us to care and not to care. Teach us to, st- to sit still even among these rocks. Our peace in his will even among these rocks. Sister, mother and spirit of the river, spirit of the sea. Suffer me not to be separated, and let my cry come unto thee. This ambivalence and unsettledness that runs through us and even defines us is an invitation. It's not a sign of insanity, but a reflection of deep truth. We are sojourners with a permanent residence, living in the now and the not yet, as justified and sinner. We're home, and we're not, and we will be. And this is not ambivalence or paradox, but grace. It's a reminder of somewhere we've never been, but we're made for and somehow already know. Our true home who is not a place, but a person. The one who will meet us in the beginning, not just with a warm supper, but an entire feast, and wine is one of his signature dishes. The one who is there the whole time, bringing us home to him. Thank you.